We are back for another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, gearing up for the biggest game of a season to date. Doesn't feel quite as big as it did uh, at this time last week, but Ohio State getting ready to play Wisconsin this week. Wisconsin coming off a bad loss to Illinois, but still biggest game of the year to date. Getting ready for that one on Saturday at noon. Uh, going to talk a little bit about the win over Northwestern first. We're also going to get to some of your questions later. Uh, Colin, just, you know, first of all, just kind of what are your thoughts coming out of last week and, and looking ahead to this game against Wisconsin this week? Well, so we're driving home on um, Saturday. I think we're both sort of expecting, all right, so we're going to turn around and next week's going to be about covering this top six matchup. And during the drive home, we're like sort of following along just a little bit to the Wisconsin-Illinois game. And you know what? It's getting a little, getting a little tight at the end. Still, still a little tighter than I thought. And all of a sudden, it's really close. And I try and pull this thing up on my phone. And we were out in the, we were out in the middle of nowhere, so I could not watch it. We, we weren't listening. We essentially, I did. Did I end up pulling? I think I, I might think have pulled, pulled it out just for the yeah, end. just yeah. just for the field goal. We were not practicing safe driving there. I was kind of looking at updates on my phone, and you were it's all uh, right. There wasn't a packed highway. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, we were out in the middle of uh, Indiana or something as this game was happening. So, for those of you who asked questions that were very specific to that game, unfortunately, neither of us had the chance to actually watch it because watch uh, some highlights. We were driving back from Northwestern, uh, but. Uh, we're certainly going to talk a lot about that game coming up this week. Uh, it doesn't quite have the same luster that it might have uh, if Wisconsin had beat Illinois, but still, biggest game of the year of the season by far, in my opinion. And also, like if we're all being honest, like it would have been a little bit of fake luster because I'm not. Did you think that Wisconsin was one of the six best teams in the country? Because I I, I didn't think that they were one of the six best in the country. Like no matter. That they had that six and zero record at the time. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think it's it's hard to, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I would have uh, told you that last time, though. <laughs> I think I would have said they were one of the six best teams. I mean, it, it, as do you, do, as dominant as they were for their first six games of a year, if they had if they had gone and blown out Illinois the way they were supposed to last week as a thirty one point favorite, I, I think that I probably would have legit believed they were a top six seven team in college football. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily think that now, but uh, I, I believed the hype in Wisconsin. I still I still believe they're a really good team. Are they a good enough team to beat Ohio State? We'll discuss that a little later, but uh, I still believe they're a really good team. I still believe they're one of the best teams Ohio State's going to play this year. Losses happen. Uh, we saw that at Purdue last year. We saw that at Iowa two years ago. Yes, Sometimes the better team does not win, uh, and that's what happened on Saturday, I think. Uh, I think Wisconsin was probably looking ahead to next week's game. Uh, they probably didn't prepare for Illinois the way they needed to. Yep, and I think Illinois was just good enough that they were able to take advantage of. But yeah, like you mentioned, uh, there were two really costly turnovers in the fourth quarter for Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor fumbled, Jack Cohn throwing an interception in the final three minutes. Those are the kind of mistakes you cannot make. And Illinois capitalized and got to give props to Lovey Smith. Uh, maybe saved his job with that win. Uh, Illinois had lost four straight games, including a loss to Eastern Michigan. So that was a team that desperately needed a big win, and they got it. So you got to give credit to Illinois. Uh, tough loss for Wisconsin, but everything's still in front of Wisconsin. If Wisconsin can come into the shoe 
and pull off an upset over Ohio State on Saturday, they're right back in the conversation. Uh, so this is still a big game coming up, and we're going to talk about that here over the course of the next hour. But you look at the juxtaposition. Wisconsin clearly looking ahead to Ohio State loses to a sub-500 Illinois team that it really shouldn't have lost to. No matter what you think of Wisconsin, they should not have lost to Illinois. They're definitely a better team than Illinois. This is a fact. Ohio State, on the other hand, totally took care of business at Northwestern. 52-3 to free win. You know, we thought coming off a of bye week, looking ahead. I know that we both, we both thought it was going to be a big win for Ohio State. I think Colin was especially bullish on the fact that Northwestern was not going to have a chance in this game. Uh, but still... To go out and win 52-3, to to dominate the game the way they did, it's still impressive because that game, the Wisconsin-Illinois game, is a perfect example of how college football games don't always go the way you think they're going to go. In this Ohio State team so far this year, every single week they've just gone out and beaten these teams the way that they're supposed to beat them. This game to me, I mean, like you said last week, uh, I think – I made it pretty clear that I didn't think that this that the Northwestern Ohio State game was going to be remotely close, and it sort of played out that way. So, like in and of itself, I don't I don't think that I don't think that that game was anything special. I don't think that you look at that oh, that that performance by the Buckeyes and go, "Wow, this team this team really has it." But it's more just in totality. Like this is the seventh time in a row that they've done it, and like it's in spectacular fashion. Where I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Chris Chuganoff has played in six games. Yes, like yeah, they the played well enough. Play. They played well enough to pull Justin Fields at the end of six games, and that's remarkable. Because sure, okay, I didn't think that the game was going to be close at all, but at the same time, you, you sort of imagine there might be some sort of struggle, some sort of anything remotely close to a flaw that gets uncovered. And now we're entering the last week of October, and I still am not exactly sure what this team is bad at. No, it's 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 hard to say. Um, you know, we'll talk about this later. I think we one thing we said uh, during the game was, you know, maybe if you were going to nitpick, uh, one of the flaws would maybe be uh, Blake Obio hadn't had a great season kicking the ball, and then he goes and nails a 55-yard field goal. So, and then and then today, like I, I wrote an article today on Tuesday, is like you imagine the, the sack rate that Ohio State has, they're they're allowing two sacks a game. It's sort of middle of the pack in the country. Is that does that seem like? Maybe it could be an issue that could crop up later. And, and Ryan Day basically said, like, that's just a casualty of the way that they're playing with Justin Fields and the fact that they want him to extend plays and look downfield. And maybe, you know, on third down, if you take a bad sack, you live with that because maybe another time he makes a play. And it's like, okay, well, the casual like, the, the one thing that we might be able to nitpick, the guy who hit a 55-yard, and the other thing, Ryan Day literally said it's by design. Like, yeah. this is where we're at in this season. And you wrote about it on Tuesday, Colin, that – uh, you know, this team, they, they get asked every week, you know, what are you looking at? What are the issues are showing up on film? And they really don't have any good answers at this point. Uh, not that they would tell us anyway if there was some glaring issue they thought was bubbling up under the surface, but there just isn't that one thing that you can point to and say, oh, this is something that clearly needs to get fixed if this team's going to win a national championship. And there isn't this one thing that's vaguely <laughs> like they have to fix this. Or it might crop up against a team of equal talent. 
Like, like it's really, 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 really hard to nitpick this team. And to me, that's, like, my main takeaway from North, the Northwestern game is, like, this exact same Ohio State team has shown up week after week after week. And I get that we're going to talk about this Ohio State-Wisconsin game um, and that it's a step up in competition because it is. But maybe this Ohio State team is just going to continue to play the way that they do, the same level that they've been playing with, the same consistency they've been playing with. Because this, this team's playing at – a consistent level that we just like it, it's a spe- the juxtaposition is especially clear based off of last season and we were talking about a little earlier how last season it just felt like the entire year was full of controversy this year there's no controversy last year there were these clear flaws you saw week one and then they they continued um we saw them crop up again in the purdue game then later in the season and right now it's like there are no flaws it's just it's just so different than what we saw a year ago. You talk, I can't get that out of my mind. You talk about consistency. Uh, probably one of the most remarkable stats of a run that Ohio State is on right now is they have now scored 21-plus points in the second quarter of six straight games. Uh, something about that second quarter, uh, you know, first quarter, this was another game where we saw, you know, early on, Ohio State marches right down the field, scores a touchdown on its opening drive, then, then it was a little bit of a struggle for a few minutes. Uh, Northwestern's offense, which had been the worst of one of the worst of a country going into the game, actually showed a little bit of life early. Uh, made some plays in a running game early. Uh, Ohio State's offense uh, was a little shaky for a couple drives. Uh, ended up in a lot of third down situations uh, early, but they were able to execute those. They were able to convert those third downs to keep drives going. And then in the second quarter. Uh, as we've seen uh, week after week, this team, they just, ex- they just exploded. Uh, J.K. Dobbins had a really long run. Uh, Northwestern's punter fumbled a snap. That, that set up another touchdown for Ohio State. And then, you know, of course, we talked about the end of the half, uh, which to me was the most impressive sequence of the entire game. Uh, Drew Chrisman downs a punt at the one. Uh, there's only about a minute left in the first half at this point. Uh, if Northwestern just wants to run out the clock, you might think Ohio State would just let them do that. But they stop them three times in a row. Ryan Day calls three timeouts in a row. Uh, Northwestern's punter shanks a punt out of his own end zone. They get the ball back on their own side of the field. And then Javio comes on and, and drills his career-long field goal, uh, tied for the second-longest field goal in Ohio State history. And after that, uh, the bench goes wild, and they run into the locker room with a 31-3 to lead. And not that there was any doubt before that about what was going to happen in Friday's game, but I just thought that was a uh, Ryan Day said it himself. It was an exclamation point on another great first half for Ohio State, and, and just to see the way that this team can so quickly, uh, so quickly just turn a game into a rout and just explode on an opponent. Uh, it's been really impressive, and it's and it's all phases of a game that are making that happen. It's, and it's it, and it's every game. Right. And this is the same thing that we've consistently seen throughout this entire season. Right. I mean, and, and it's and it's again, it's 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 everyone working together to make that happen. You know, I just talked about the the punt. Uh, Liam McCullough, a long snapper, is the one going down and downing that punt. Uh, the kicker's making a play. The the, the defense is making plays. Every, all three phases right now are in sync, which is is why this team is so good right now. Because we talked about last year, uh, Ohio State had an offense last year led by Dwayne Haskins where they could put up big points, they could put up a ton of yards, but it was it was so often the, the offense just having to bail out the defense time and time again. 
Uh, and that's what you see a lot of times with a lot of college football teams. A lot of times they're stronger in one area or the other. But when you look at this Ohio State team, you, you know, if we were to debate what's better, the offense or defense, it's really hard to say because they've both performed at such a high level. So what do you think is better? I mean, I think I think the defense has impressed me more just because of knowing where they came from from last year. It's mm-hmm. such a drastic step up from where they were last year. Uh, but I, I still don't think I could really say that one's better than the other right now because they've been so in sync and neither one has any real flaws. I think that's probably the correct answer. If I had to pick one, like like you said, just the difference between last year's and this year's defense, it might it might just have to be that. But also, like I think that if you look at it positionally, like I just I think that the talent at each of those positions, like the, the starting talent, is is like you can say this about the offense at some, at a lot of key positions, but the way that Chase Young has played right now, where he's probably the best player at any position in college football. Um, the offensive tackles, I think, are the most underrated players in the team. I think Billy Harrison's playing on an all-Big Ten level. I think Pete Warner's had a great year. Baron Browning looks like an NFL linebacker. They've got three NFL cornerbacks, all-Big Ten safety. I think that the way the defense is playing right now is, is, is the reason why I have a lot of confidence in this team and way more confidence than I thought that I was going to have. Honestly, I, I can't really say that, though, because the reason I have so much confidence is because both sides of the ball are right. playing at an extremely high level. But this is this is something that I didn't necessarily expect that, that I would be saying. Uh, you, you look at the defense again. We, we, we can't take a ton out of a performance against Northwestern because Northwestern's offense was statistically one of the worst offenses in the country and they looked this game. Uh, their quarterbacks are pretty awful. Uh, so we can't we can't take too much away, but still, again, it's the consistency that's so impressive. Ohio State still has not allowed more than 300 yards in a game this year. They held Northwestern under 200. Uh, they've held six straight opponents or 10 points or fewer. Uh, again, it's just it's the consistency. It's last year we became so accustomed to seeing. Uh, breakdowns and coverages and whiff tackles and, and teams just hitting big plays and it it, it all, always every time that defense went on the field last year it, it felt like it was a disaster waiting to happen and this year they've just been so rock solid and they just haven't had any of those kind of lapses that they did last year mm-hmm. other side of the ball um, I mean Justin Fields is he looks remarkable right now. I did not expect him to look like this until maybe the end of the season, but even still then I thought this would take till year two, and right now he's just so unbelievably in control of the offense. I think the thing that the thing that really stands out to me, there's like there's like two facets of his game that, that really stood out against Northwestern, and it's 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 pretty similar to what he's done um, in other games, but but one it's these these throws to the sidelines on like combats or, or out routes where or like these twelve-yard throws, and he makes them look really easy, and they're not easy. We've seen quarterbacks come through Ohio State who struggle with that that type of throw. And then secondly, um, you have a guy who can one do that and has this big arm who can do that, but also like he he just shrugs off guys. Like there were a few moments um, where where I think when Nick Petit Frere had his probably his worst play of the game when they sort of rolled out Justin Fields a little bit to the right. Um, Nick Petit Frere like, completely whiffed on his block. It looked like Justin Fields was about to get sacked. He sort of just spun off of it, and it, he, he just made it look effortless. And he had another play earlier in the game where 
he he almost got sacked. I think it was a guy ran between Bowen and Wyatt Davis, and they, and Northwestern dropped eight. And at the same time, he shrugged off that guy, ran through a second tackler, and then found I think it was KJ Hill yeah. for a twenty yard gain. Yeah, I think that was it's like those are those are just ridiculous plays. That to me was as impressive as any play we've seen from from Justin this year. That play mm-hmm. to KJ Hill because, like you said, it was you miss two sacks, you're on the move, and then you just throw a perfect pass to KJ. And in a, in a moment where again that was early in the game, first quarter. The offense was reeling a little bit at that point. They they had gone free and out on a previous series. Uh, they had they hadn't gotten into a rhythm yet. I think that was a really big play. Uh, then they were able to build on that. They ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive, and I think that really built the momentum they needed. They took a two score lead. We're already kind of starting to think at that point. I mean, two scores that could be the game because we knew how bad Northwestern's offense was. So I think that was a really big play just to just to get that game moving in the direction it ultimately did. And yeah, you mentioned those sideline throws too. I mean, I fought another. I thought another play that was really impressive that may not may not pop as much, but I thought his his second I think it, I think it was his second touchdown throw to Olave in, in the end zone where where Olave is running toward the right side and he puts that ball there because that's a, that's a tight window you've got to throw that ball into to get that ball in before it gets to the sideline and he just put a perfect touch on that ball for Olave to make the play. You got to give. Olave just as much credit for running a great route, getting open, and making that catch in between the sideline. But that touch from Justin Fields, I think that's maybe what we didn't think we were going to see this year. I think we knew he had a big arm. We knew he was an explosive athlete. But that touch that he's been able to show on those kind of throws, I personally did not think we were going to see that from him this yeah. year. And and he's shown that, that he, can, he can make those kind of plays, the kind of plays that is why next year we're going to be talking about his NFL draft prospects for 2021 because those are the kind of throws that are going to are going to make an impression on scouts. And that Olave touchdown, the second one, was definitely the more difficult play by him. But even the first touchdown, like I think it is a little bit underrated. Wyatt Davis got beat like a drum on that play, and Justin Fields had a guy just rushing it, rushing right out of his face. And listen, Olave was wide open. Like it was a throw that you should be able to make. But it was also a throw that maybe before the season I didn't know whether he would just be calm in those situations and 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 not maybe like see the guy running at him and maybe take a step and scramble or or mess up his footwork and miss that throw. Like these are the throws that I think you're starting to take for granted with Justin Fields and seeing what what else he can do. Is he has like he's he, he's he's insane. Like you're not like I think Ohio State fans have to appreciate this because. Like Jack Miller, if they get C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, I'm I'm sure they're great quarterbacks. But at the same time, they don't have his rocket arm, four four speed, and have been able to pick up an offense this quickly. Like I, I can tell you, that's not going to happen. Like this is this is this is special. I thought Dwayne Haskins was really special last year, and I like Justin Fields is impressing me in, in similar ways, but in, but in different. He's impressing me differently but in a similar in a similar manner if that makes sense you you mentioned nicholas petit frere getting beat on one play he made his first start on friday in place of fair munford i think we both agree an up and down performance he, he had some good moments had some bad moments i think there's clearly still some work to do in his development gotta give credit to fair munford uh you could we, we could see it in warm-ups he, he was hurting 
Um, but but that's a guy who does not like to be on the sidelines. You could see it even in the first quarter when he wasn't out there. He had his helmet in his hand. That's a guy who wants to be out there on the field battling. And Listen, he, he is so tough. He like, is. Like the, he, he, like, you never want to rank players' toughness, but like I, I can't imagine someone who's been through as many just what did he say? He said something in the preseason. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he said something about, like, I'm never healthy. He, he's he had a lot of injuries, and, you know, I think that's one of those things that, you know, it you know especially you start to think about next level kind of stuff, and you, you wonder, you know, in terms of his NFL prospects that could come in a year or two, uh, how much that these injuries that he's had might ail him in that regard. But he, he's played through a lot of injuries the last couple of years, and, you know, I think uh, it's a little bit of a concern just going forward too because you have to wonder is he ever going to be uh fully healthy the rest of this year but uh but he battles he's a guy if he can play he wants to be out there he arguably shouldn't have played the other game they didn't need him to win and and they would have they would have i mean he he definitely helped them for those 14 plays but he went in he definitely helped stabilize things up front and then you know petit frere came in in the second half and i think i think did better uh, in the second half, and he he did early on, but uh, yeah, I mean they they would have been fine without him. But you look, you go into a game like this week against Wisconsin, against a defense that's ranked number one in the country, you really you really need a fair, healthy Fayer Munford this week. Uh, I think that's something you're really going to be hoping for uh, this week because uh, Petit Frere, we know he's talented. He's a five star recruit. He's just a redshirt freshman. Uh, I, I think. You know, probably next year when we certainly expect him to be a starter, uh, I, I think he will be really good. But I don't think he's quite there yet. I think there's a reason why you know Brandon Bowen and Joshua Alavi were playing before him this year. Uh, I don't think he's quite where he needs to be yet to be that starting offensive tackle. Uh, but you know, this offensive line, uh, the the only thing that might hold him back right now is health. Uh, I, I also like. I, I know we're probably gonna move on this real quick. I just want to mention one thing. Like I thought during the game, like I we talk about Petit Frere having an up and down game. Like I thought to me it was way more up than it was down. I, he impressed me a lot more when I went back and watched the game than 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 what I thought it would. Um, just because when he got taken out, like I sort of assumed that they weren't liking what they were seeing. Um, that's just like it was that point in the game where I was wondering why why would you put Thayer into the game and maybe risk his health a little bit more. Um, I was really impressed by him. Um, and I remember just a few weeks ago when they played Alibi instead of him, there was wonder about you know, are they doing that because Nick Petit Frere isn't ready. And I would say just based on this, like I don't I don't think I don't think that's really much of a concern for for any that, that shouldn't be a concern for people right now, just based on the way he played. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, uh, I, I think you'd much rather you go into a game like this against Wisconsin. You, you really want to have Thayer out there, well, and, yeah. Uh, you know, Bowen. Uh, you know, but again, those are both guys who've had their share of injuries. Uh, we know Alibi. We don't know what Alibi's injury is, but you know, we do know he missed last week's game due to injury. So. A little bit of a question mark there at that offensive tackle position, but you know when this offensive line has been healthy, uh, and for the most part they have been, uh, they've been fantastic. Uh, it was an interesting poll on Eleven Warriors on Tuesday. Uh, we asked who do you think has been the most impressive offensive lineman this season, and fifty percent of readers actually voted Josh Myers, nineteen percent voted Wyatt Davis. 
15% voted for Fay or Munford and 10% voted for Jonah Jackson. Uh, we just talked about Fay or Munford. Uh, I, I think Fay or Munford and Jonah Jackson probably both deserve more love in that poll. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting when I when I clicked on that. And I, you know, the way that people have talked about Josh Myers is not necessarily surprising to to see him number one. Um, I didn't expect it to be that big of a margin. I think he's played really well, especially for this, just being his his uh, first year starting. And it seems like he and Justin Fields have really been on the same page, and you haven't really seen any mix-ups um, there that have been prevalent at all. But you, like you say about Thayer and Jonah, I think Thayer Munford and Jonah Jackson are, are the two linemen who have imp- impressed me personally most this year. Um, if I were to rank them, I would put Munford, I would put Munford one, Jonah two, Myers three, Wyatt Davis four, and Brandon Bowen five. And that's not to say that I don't think that anyone other than than Jonah Jackson and Thayer Munford are having a good season. I think this line has been really, really good, like really good. And I think Jonah and Thayer have not been getting enough attention for. The I way agree. I playing. agree. I think they've all played really well. But and I, you know, and I think part of it goes back to and kind of same thing with Petit Frere, where. Myers and Davis, they both came in as really highly touted recruits. People have been waiting to see these guys play at Ohio State for a few years. Mm-hmm. They've kind of had a lot of hype behind them, so they tend to get the most attention. I think Jonah Jackson, I, I think he's a guy who's really flown under a radar uh, for how good he's been. Uh, he is a, I think he's, he's been a monster. I mean, he, he definitely leads the team in knockdown blocks. He, he's just a nasty finisher inside. And I think, you know, that that was a move. You know, we talk about, obviously, how big Justin Fields was as a transfer coming in. But Jonah Jackson, I think that's been a huge move, too, just to stabilize that offensive line. And I think all three of those interior guys have been great. But, you know, like you said, too, I mean, it's, it, you know, I think the left tackle position is always kind of viewed as a, a marquee position on the offensive line, along with center. And I think that's a big reason why Josh Myers – is getting such a big percentage of a vote as well. But, uh, yeah, Fair. I mean, Fair has been rock solid when he's been out there. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, Fair was their best offensive lineman last year, and he, he was the most inexperienced guy on the line last year uh, as a sophomore. So, uh, yeah, I think both – I agree. I think both those guys deserve a lot of credit. Uh, that's not to take anything away from Josh or Wyatt. I think Josh has played excellent. Uh, you know, I think Wyatt's a guy who – you know, he, he got he got all the midseason All America love, and uh, it's not to say I don't think he's deserving of that, but I I, I wouldn't necessarily if if I was voting, I, I if I was voting for a guard who could be a midseason All American, I'd be more likely to vote for Jonah right now than I would be for Wyatt. So would I. And you made a good point about about Jonah being sort of this under the radar transfer um, because. Listen, we just had our conversation about them being flawless. Imagine if they didn't have Jonah Jackson right now. And imagine if they didn't add some sort of other graduate transfer. I mean, they might be in a position where they were starting Harry Miller, who'd be a true freshman. Like, I think that I think that's that was a fair or, or they might have Brandon Bowen inside at yes. left guard and they might have another but again that hurts your tackle depth. Yes, so. especially with the with how how often folks have been getting injured uh, at that position. I think that 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 was a really key acquisition. That acquisition we're talking like we're in the NFL right now, but it's it's what it sort of no, feels like. To start to become free agency. <laughs> um, but I think that was key, and, and I think that flew under the radar a little bit. While we're on the topic of offensive linemen, we've got to talk about Dewan Jones. Uh, Is that his name? Well, he's got a lot of nicknames: Big Thanos, Big Greasy. 
Triple D. Triple D, Big Diesel. That's what he said his nicknames are. Uh, my official nomination would be Big Broccoli. Uh, when I talked to him in an interview uh, earlier this year, he said broccoli was his favorite food. So uh, there, there's my official submission for Dewan Jones' nicknames. Big Broccoli. There's a lot of good ones. When you're six foot eight and 360 pounds, uh, there's a lot of natural nicknames that come your way. But uh, we knew the guy was big. Uh, he showed he could play. He definitely he, knew he was big. He, his first offensive play of his collegiate career, he mauls multiple defenders and leads the way for a 73-yard Master Teague touchdown run. And he's made such an impression on his coaches and teammates that Ryan Day said on Tuesday that he probably won't redshirt this year. And that would have really surprised me a few months ago. Actually, uh, I wrote a story back in July where I predicted which Ohio State freshmen are most and least likely to redshirt in 2019. And Dewan Jones was very much at the top of the guys who I thought were most likely to redshirt. I actually described him as a, quote, near lock to redshirt. Uh, so I was wrong about that one. Uh, but this is a guy who came in, uh, I think was ranked outside the top 1,000 recruits, was a late bloomer, uh, a guy who actually thought about playing college basketball in, instead of football. And he, uh, you know, was a real late riser in the pro- process. Uh, he's got gargantuan size, but he's also a great athlete for his size. And and now he he he's he's come along. He's developed quickly enough to where the coaches feel like we we've got to take advantage of his talent. We've we've got to find a way to get him on the field. And we've seen him use him in a few different ways already. Uh, he was on a field goal block team one week. They haven't done that again yet, but I think now if you take the shackles off of we got to try to protect his red shirt, now I think there's a very real possibility you go into a big game like Wisconsin this week, we could see Dewan Jones right back in the middle of that field goal block team again. This like this this one is shocking to me. Um, I did not I did not expect this coming into the year. I expected him to be someone who's sort of like Enoch Vamahi, um, except for the other way. Like Enoch gained a lot of weight, had to get his body in shape. I thought Dewan would have to lose weight, get his body in shape that way, and then figure out a way to the field. But while he's getting his body in shape, he's managed to find his way onto the field, which tells you, like to me, I think like my main takeaway from Ryan Day saying that he probably won't redshirt means one of two things or both of them. Like one, I think maybe they think that he has the physical size and he has NFL dreams and he might not be a five-year player, so it's not really worth not playing him if you think that you can get something out of him right now. And two, you look at next year, yep. I, they'll lose um, Brandon Bowen and Josh Allaby at, um, at offensive tackle, and presumably that means Nick Petit-Frere would start, but then maybe Thayer Munford would decide to go pro, and all of a sudden you'd have to replace a second offensive tackle. And if you look at their depth, it's not there's not exactly someone else who's clear in line could be Dewan Jones. It's, could po- be, it's, could very, be it's very possible that Dewan Jones could be a starting offensive tackle next year. And if not, I think what we at least know now is that he's at least a guy who's in line to be on a two deep next year. But he's he's put himself in that position. He he's moved ahead of some of the other offensive tackles on the roster who haven't played yet. He he's put himself in that position now where he's going to be competing for playing time next year. And I think that is a big part of it. Because uh, regardless of you know the red shirt and preserving his eligibility, if he's a guy you might need to play next year, you want him to get some reps this year. Uh, so I think now 
but they see it. I think that's kind of where they looked at it and said, okay, we're going to get him in at the end of a Northwestern game because we want to see what he can do. And, you know, you look ahead on a schedule. I don't think it'll be this week, but you look at games like Maryland or Rutgers or whatnot, those could be opportunities to get him in there, get him a few more reps uh, and prepare him for next season where they, they really might need him to play a role. Plus, uh, having a big guy like that on the field goal block team, uh, there's definitely some value in that. I think the biggest value he adds, though, is the nickname. I'm a big Thanos. There's only there's only a couple people in this world who can be nicknamed Big Thanos and also play football. I think one of them plays for Minnesota. One of them plays for Ohio State. I know. I was thinking about that the other day, that if there's an Ohio State-Minnesota game in a Big Ten championship game, which has become a distinct possibility with Wisconsin's lost to Illinois, there needs to be a Dewan Jones, Daniel Falele photo. How big, how big is Daniel? I believe he's 6'9", 400. He might have lost a little bit of weight uh, since arriving, but when he arrived, he was 6'9", 400. So, like, I need to see those two standing next to each other. Mainly because I need to see someone who's bigger than Dewan Jones. Yes, because I, I, we could tell you uh, there's a lot of big football players but when when you see Dewan Jones up close, it, it's just something different. Or from far away, like it's great to see him from seventy yards away, and all and the Ohio State out. huddles are in, all, all the Ohio State players are in a huddle, and then all of a sudden there's like this pyramid in the middle of it, and, and it's Dewan Jones' helmet. Wyatt Davis and Brandon Bowen and 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 Thayer Munford, those are big dudes, and Dewan still just stands out as being so much bigger than everybody else. So. I think we could podcast for 30 more minutes about uh, we Dewan Jones' we, size. We really could. Uh, Dewan Jones is a lot of fun to watch, and you can tell, we, we talked about this earlier off air as well, that you can tell his his teammates uh, are becoming big Dewan Jones fans as well. You could see uh, the excitement from them uh, that he got into the game and, and made a big block like that. So uh, Dewan Jones' stock is rising uh, in a big way, in a way that maybe we did not expect uh, no. this year. We talk about the long runs. Uh, I want to talk about that as well. Ohio State had three runs of 50-plus yards from three different running backs on Friday. J.K. Dobbins had one. Master Teague had one. Marcus Crowley had one on the final play of a game before they went into victory formation. Ohio State currently leads the FBS with seven 50-plus yard runs this year. Last year, they didn't have a single 50-plus yard run all year. Uh, so we're really seeing a different level of big playability in the running game. Uh, part of that is certainly the offensive line and the work they're doing up front. Uh, tight ends as well. And You talk about that play, Dewan Jones made a great block on that play. So did Mitch Rossi, a walk-on tight end, who, who went and made a key block to spring Master Teague on that play as well. So got to give credit to those guys. But And you also just got to give credit to these running backs because I think all three of them, mostly Dobbins in key time, but we've seen it from Teague and Crowley when they've gotten in there as well. These guys, they're all hitting the hole. They're all, they're all really exploding uh, when, when they see that hole. They're, they're really attacking it this year. And I just think we're seeing a different level of aggressiveness from these running backs that we just didn't quite see, uh, particularly from Dobbins last year. I, I, I think those guys have just taken it to another level in terms of just really uh, attacking when the ball's in their hands. Yeah, I mean, you have arguably the best running back in the Big Ten. Which we'll talk about we in this game. <laughs> and, very soon. And uh, behind arguably the best offensive line in the Big Ten, and you have Ryan Day, who I think has been a really good play caller for them thus far. And yeah, it's pretty simple how the, how they've how they've been able to do this. I mean, you like you mentioned the tight ends. I think they have four tight ends that they really believe in, and plus Mitch Rossi apparently right now. Last thing I want to talk about before we move on to Wisconsin, 
we've talked a lot about the bullet position and and kind of what that means on the defense. We actually saw the bullet position uh, against Northwestern on Friday. Uh, a lot of that had to do with Baron Browning actually being out at, at middle linebacker because we had seen in the first six games of the year, we weren't seeing much of a bullet package because Pete Warner's become a three-down player for this team, and they don't want to take him off the field at that same linebacker spot. They don't want to take Sean Wade off the field either because he's come a three-down player at that slot cornerback spot. But with Baron Browning out, we, we saw him using more nickel packages, moving Pete Warner into that middle linebacker spot, taking Tough Borland off the field in passing situations where, where he can be a liability uh, but, but the most interesting thing to me was we you would think a bullet package finally there's going to be a role for Brendan White he's finally going to see some significant playing time in his defense and instead we saw Josh Proctor we saw Amir Reap we saw Justin Wint we didn't see Brendan White until the fourth quarter as a backup Sam linebacker uh, I'm not here to you know criticize why he's not playing uh, at, at this point, certainly, because the defense is playing great. I think these coaches absolutely know what they're doing. It's just kind of one of those like mysteries that's been hard to figure out this year because this was a guy who was one of the best players on Ohio State's defense at the end of last season, was defensive player of a game in the Rose Bowl, and we thought he was going to be in line for a big role this year. And for whatever reason, uh, he just seems to have been relegated to becoming a backup, and now we're more than halfway through the season. It, it, you just have to wonder, you know, what his outlook is right now at Ohio State, as it seems like he's been surpassed by, you know, even even players like Amir Reap and Johnson Wint, but I don't think we would have expected would be ahead of him on the depth chart at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of those things where at this point. Um it just is what it is. Like I don't, I don't think it's going to change. I don't think it's going to change with the matchup. I don't think so either. I think that I think seeing what we saw on Friday tells me that you know I I, I don't think this whole like there's a there's a game where he's going to suddenly play forty plays. I just don't think it's in the cards cards at this point. And I don't think that they're the, like we don't really have an answer um, other than he's playing a new position, one that he didn't play last year. Um, and it just seems like they like Pete Warner, and like I think this game was definitely the most confusing, where they used other guys who are, even still I thought that they would play um, Brendan White ahead of, and the way that Madison made it sound is they have maybe guys who like in certain situations against the run, against the pass. Um, yet I'm not sure that Brendan White was really any of those. So to be honest, like we don't we we don't really know. You yeah. don't really have an answer. And, and, and again, and I don't know that we're going to get one. It's not a problem because the defense has been fantastic. It only becomes a problem if the defense struggles and there's seemingly an area where, where he could make them better. Right now, that's not the case. Right now, the defense is playing great. Uh, there's a ton of depth on the defensive side of the ball. So the reality is there's going to be guys who deserve to play that just aren't going to have many opportunities to play. But uh, I know that's one that's come up a lot. Uh, trust me, it, 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 it perplexes me a little bit too. Uh, but right now, uh, just doesn't seem to be a clear-cut path to the field for him. Let's move on to Wisconsin. Uh, big game coming up this week. We already talked about it. It was supposed to be a matchup of 7-0 teams. That didn't happen. Uh, this game, you know, it, as a result, uh, I think there's going to be a lot less people picking Wisconsin to win this game. But... This is still a Wisconsin team that has a defense that's ranked number one in the nation in just about every major defensive category, uh, points per game. 
uh, yards per game, yards per play. They're the number one defense against both the run and the pass. So this is a defense that's shown the ability to dominate in, in all areas. Uh, four shutouts in their first six games. Uh, they didn't play as well against Illinois as they did in some of their previous games, but uh, the defense still wasn't awful against Illinois. Like we talked about, there were some turnovers, other issues that just kind of uh, led to that outcome. But this is a defense that is elite. Uh, it's right up there for the best defenses in the country, and this should absolutely be the toughest test of the year for Ohio State's offense. It absolutely will. I mean, listen, we talk about that Illinois loss all day, but at the, the same time, I I don't like. I I think it changed. A, I think the Illinois change, uh, Illinois loss changed a couple things. Um, one, I, I I guess it changed your perspective a little bit. Um, I think it changed the national outlook on the game. I think now it makes an Ohio State loss look a little bit worse if it were to happen. Absolutely. Um, I think that there will be less eyeballs on this game, whereas I, I'm not exactly sure what a lot of people think. Just because, like, my perspective, I never viewed Wisconsin as on the level of Ohio State. Um, even before this, maybe this is just me looking at the way that Ohio State has played and the talent that they have and, and even just looking at the recruiting stars. Like, like natural talent. Ohio State has had more natural talent than them. Um, other than that, like, I think, and we're going to get a question on this um, later, I don't think that the loss changes much in how this game will play out necessarily. No, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I would think Wisconsin is going to have a lot to prove, and they're going to really be motivated to bounce back. Because, like I said before, uh, if if Wisconsin beats Ohio State, then you know they're right back in that playoff conversation. Uh, you know, being that one loss team. If they if they lose to Ohio State, then they're out of it. But uh, if they win, they're, they're still right in that conversation. So uh, Wisconsin's going to have every incentive still to win this game. Uh, they look more beatable than they did a week ago. Not saying they weren't beatable, but they look more beatable now because we saw Illinois do it, and you'd think if Illinois can do it, Ohio State should be able to do it. But You'd imagine. But that's college football. Sometimes, sometimes upsets happen. I, I think even, even though... I admittedly did not get to watch the game because I was driving back from Northwestern. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Wisconsin played its worst game of the year last week by far and that they are a much better team than they showed to be last weekend in Champaign. And I think most likely Ohio State is going to see uh, the best version of Wisconsin or something close to it. Uh, So you have to be prepared for that. Uh, I think certainly for Ohio State's offense, you know this is a this is a measuring stick game. Uh, you know it, it's a benchmark, as Ryan Day uh, said on Tuesday. Uh, if, if Ohio State's offense can go into this game and continue to produce the way it has all year, then we can safely say this Ohio State offense is elite in one of the best in the country. Uh, they'll even have a case for being the best in the country if they can put up big numbers in this game. Uh, you know, this is a big test. I mean, I think, you know, they've played some decent defenses. Uh, Michigan State, you know, Cincinnati, even even Northwestern this week, a, a solid defense, and they, they, they put up big points on them. But uh, this is another level. This is this is a, a definitely one of the best defenses in the country. And I think, you know, for Justin Fields, for J.K. Dobbins, for the offensive line, for receivers, I think they're all going to be tested in this game uh, to really see what they're made of. Yeah. I mean – it has a couple interesting matchups. I mean, 
if you look at um, Ohio State's offense against Wisconsin's defense, you just look at all the stats that that that, that back up the the way that Wisconsin's played. I mean, they they have four shutouts and six and six wins. That, that's a that's a that's a pretty remarkable shutout rate, regardless of who you've played. Um, and at the same time, you look on the other side of the ball, and they haven't. Ohio State hasn't faced an offense that has a running back quite like Jonathan Taylor, who could. Um, could he be the? Is it? Will he be the top running back selected in the spring in the NFL? He could be. I. I, mean, I wouldn't say will, but I think he could be. I think he's certainly uh, in that conversation. Yeah, and they, they played him two years ago. I think he's a better version of him right now than than he was then. In the same way that J.K. Dobbins is a better version of himself than the last time they played Wisconsin, when I think he was the Big Ten title game champion or MVP. Um, Listen, I, I, I want to try and tell you that, that I think this might be a better game than, than, than I truly think it will. But I'm just, I'm just not going to. I, I, I will pick this game to be a multi-touchdown win for Ohio State for, for a couple reasons. I mean, one, the way that Ohio State has played with their, 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 their just pure flawlessness, I'm just going to have to wait. I'm just going to have to wait to see what someone can pick apart. It's the same thing that we've said every single week. Like, can someone make Justin Fields do anything other than throw to open guys and shrug off defenders? And I get that Wisconsin is, Wisconsin's defense has played really well, but, I mean, just look at who they've played. Like, I don't think – like, we've seen Michigan's offense this year. It's, it's nothing to write home about. Uh, South Florida, Central Michigan, Kent State, Michigan State. I mean, those aren't those aren't those aren't great offenses. They're not. Um, and Illinois had twenty four points. Like I like the way that the way that Wisconsin's defense is played against those that that level of competition is fine. I'm just confident in the way that Ohio State's offense is played right now, and I think that Ohio State's defense against the run. I think they had two series there where it was like, hmm, is Northwestern maybe gouging them a little bit more than, than I would have imagined? And then I think by the end of the game, Northwestern was averaging 3.3 yards per carry, which was totally in line with what we've seen from this defense. I just think the talent stacks up against Wisconsin in a way that they will not be able to, to overcome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it ends up being a, a decisive victory for Ohio State, a multi-touchdown victory. Uh, I'd be shocked if Ohio State was shut out. Uh, I don't think that's gonna. That happen. would. I mean, that would blow blow my mind. I I've been <laughs> settling on for a, a total for Ohio State. I've been settling on about thirty one points is about what I'm predicting for Ohio State. That'd be the most of a year, but Wisconsin's giving up would be the lowest of a year for Ohio State. But I I do think I do think this is for sure the best defense that Ohio State has played. I I do think uh, there's gonna be some resistance in this game. Uh, you know, Wisconsin has a knack for making big plays and taking them the other way too. So I, I, I do think this is a dangerous defense. I, I, I do think, uh, I, I, am not exactly predicting a, another 24 point second quarter. If that happens, it'll be really, really impressive in this game. But I, I do think Wisconsin is going to make it tougher for Ohio State to to just roll. Now, granted, I would have said the same thing in 2014 when Ohio State won 59 nothing. So anything can happen, but. Uh, I, I, I do think that this is going to be the most competitive game of the year for Ohio State. The thing is, the bar is not set that high there because they haven't, they haven't won a game by fewer than 24 points so far this season. So uh, this could be a 17-point game and still be the most competitive game of the year. 
you know, I, I, I certainly am going to predict Ohio State to win because I agree with you. I think that they have a more talented team. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Wisconsin's offense, uh, I, I don't think they're a slouch either. I don't think we should uh, totally overlook them either because, like you said, uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, we could argue Jonathan Taylor versus J.K. Dobbins. What I would say is I think right now I think they're two, both two of the three best running backs in college football along with Chubba Hubbard from uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, so uh, an elite running back in Jonathan Taylor. You know, I was thinking about it uh, Monday night. I was thinking about we're seven games into the year, and we still we haven't seen like usually like y- you you kind of think through a season and you think about like spectacular performances that opposing players had, uh, even if even in losses by those teams. In seven games into the year, we really haven't seen any player on an opposing team have like a really impressive performance against Ohio State. It just hasn't happened. Uh, if anyone's a candidate to do that, uh, it would be Jonathan Taylor. Uh, and, and their passing game, uh, it, it's not an explosive passing game. They only have 13 passing plays of 20-plus yards, which ranks 122nd out of 130 FBS teams. Uh, Quintus Cephas is really their only major receiving threat. So uh, no question about it, priority A in this game is going to be trying to shut down Jonathan Taylor. I think if Ohio State's defense can shut down Jonathan Taylor and and force Wisconsin uh, to beat him through the air, I don't think it's going to be a good day for Wisconsin's offense. But Jack Cohn uh, has been solid. He he, he has the second-best completion percentage in the nation, 76%. Again, it's mostly short throws. You know, you're not going to see a lot of big plays from this passing game, but he is efficient. He is better than PFF favorite Alex Hornibrook. Uh, the passing game is 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 upgraded than it has been from past years. So, uh, you know, I, I I'm kind of in the ballpark, and I'm not that great at predicting the scores, but uh, I'm kind of in the ballpark of thinking this is going to be like a 31-17 kind of game, 31-14. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. Uh, as well as Ohio State's defense is played, I, I, I think there's reason to be confident in them. And as well as Ohio State's offense is played, I, I do think they're going to be able to, to make plays even against a really good defense. Um, I'd be a little surprised if it was a total blowout. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, but, but I think uh, when, I look, when I look at the – I'll say this. When I look at the betting line, when I see the 14-point spread for Saturday's game, I think that's really exactly where it should be. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, I think certainly, Colin, I think you would bet on Ohio State. Uh, yep. I probably wouldn't touch it because uh, I just, I, I, I think 14 is kind of right. I could see it being a push. Uh, I could see it easily going either way. I, I think that's probably right about where it should be for this game. Yeah, and I think that's reasonable. Um, going back to um, Ohio State's defense against Wisconsin's offense, I think you made the, the correct point that, that it's really going to come down to, to Jonathan Taylor because the way that the the way that Ohio State can defend the pass against a Wisconsin like I think that I think that you need a you need an elite level quarterback and they can need one of the ten best quarterbacks in the country um, playing against Ohio State to have any chance against this defense because you need to make good throws into tight windows knowing that. Chase Young's rushing you. Yeah, I don't think Jack Cohen's going to scare Jeff Okuda or, no. or Damon Arnett or something. Exactly, which is why I think it'll it'll come down to can they move the ball on the ground and make make those passes when when needed. And they want to minimize that when needed as much as they and can. And I think for that reason, I think if Ohio State can explode out of the gates, 
this does have the potential to get ugly. I think if Wisconsin gets into a position where they have to play catch-up, that could be a problem for Wisconsin. Yeah, I agree with that. Unless and Ohio State's run defense has a breakdown that we haven't seen yet this year. And the reason why I think that the run defense uh, matches up fine against Wisconsin, and I really like, I think Wisconsin's a, a good run team. I think Jonathan Taylor, I think Jonathan Taylor, when I was watching him, he, he's really impressive. Um, he has more speed than he gets credit for. Absolutely. He's, he's, he can shrug off, he can shrug off defenders in a similar way that I think we've seen J.K. Dobbins do it. Um, but the, there, there's two parts of, I think, Ohio State's defense that have been key thus far, and they're going to be the two that I think are going to be key to, to shutting Jonathan Taylor down. And it's one, can a, the defensive tackles get similar penetration to what they've done thus far? Um, I think this is probably the best offensive line that they're going to have face yet, um, especially on the interior um, with a center's name who I cannot pronounce and will not try to pronounce. I looked it up before the show, and I already forgot. Tyler Biades B- or uh, – yeah. Oh. B-I – a D A S Z. I remember what I no, thought it was before the show. I looked it up and it wasn't what I thought it was, and now I forgot what it uh-huh. was. So apologies to you, Tyler. But Tyler is one of the best uh, offensive linemen in the country. It's all right. I'll be a millionaire. Fantastic center. Um, but I think that it's going to be up to those defensive tackles, the Devon Hamilton, the Tommy Togiai, the Jay Sean Cornell, the Robert Landers, to get in the backfield and create some pressure. And then the second part, I think that Ohio State's linebackers right now, compared to where they were a year ago, are really fast at the same time I think they're physical. You look at Malik Harrison and it's like, I really wouldn't want to be hit by that guy. And at the same time, he's he's pretty fast for how big he is. And the same thing with Pete Warner. Pete Warner is a lot bigger than he was last year, and I think he's still pretty fast. Baron Browning, the same thing. Baron Browning's a physical freak. Obviously wouldn't put Tough Borland in the physical freak category, but I'm sure he'll play a role in this game too. But but I look at those, those three linebackers because I think they expect to have Browning back. And those guys, plus the defensive tackles penetrating, I, th- I think they'll make it – really tough for Jonathan Taylor to, to get going. Let's get into your questions. Uh, going to preface this again, that's something I said a couple times. I haven't been able to watch a lot of Wisconsin this year. Uh, we didn't get to watch games Saturday. Uh, as I'm sure you guys know, things get pretty busy during the season, so don't don't usually have a ton of time to watch a ton of film on the opponent. So uh, a couple of these questions are, are pretty specific about Wisconsin. I can't promise that I, I have good answers to them. Uh, but we're going to do our best. Uh, I think our first question actually came through email last week, and we, we saw it literally at the end of a show, so we weren't able to get to it. But it comes from Matt Wiggins. Uh, and he, he emailed about Wisconsin shutouts, and he said, are they keeping their first team in all game, or are their backups contributing to the shutouts as well? Like I said, <laughs> I definitely have not watched fourth quarter Wisconsin against Kent State or South Florida or or anything like that. So I, I cannot tell you for sure, but I can say that you know, just just looking at their stats, uh, you know, they have 38 different players who have made tackles this year. Uh, looks like a lot of different guys who have gotten in uh, contributing. Uh, I certainly don't think that they're playing uh, their starters for four quarters against Kent State. No, they have 15 guys Florida, who have tackles or, for loss. I mean, yeah, they're the, Michigan. So I have I can't say I I watched uh, I grinded out the Wisconsin Central Michigan tape, but I based on the stats. No, I, I, yeah, I, feel, I, think I feel pretty it's, confident. It's much like Ohio State, much like we've seen where uh, their defense has been dominant uh, early in games. Uh, you know, again, until this past week, most of their games have been 
uh, lopsided early. So uh, they've put in their second team defense, and their second team defense is, has played just as well. Granted, it helps, like we talked about before, but Wisconsin hasn't played any great offenses yet. So now, certainly, I think this game they're going to need their starters to play for 60 minutes, and we'll have to see that. But the reality is, we have the same question about Ohio State because we haven't seen that for Ohio State yet this year either. So, uh, I, you know, I, I do think that the depth is playing a part in those shutouts, uh, but uh, certainly a really impressive group uh, that that is, has shown that you know it can play uh, four quarters of dominant football. So, uh, certainly not a game where I would think that Ohio State is going to be able to you know take advantage of, of tiring an opponent out. I think uh, they're going to have to find other ways to beat them. Moving on, next question. Hovenot asked, uh, aside from the Bullets focus on Taylor, what are some other key matchups that we should be looking for? Um, you know, He suggested the coaching matchup between uh, Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, Mike Yersich versus Jim Leonard. I think that's certainly a very interesting one. You're going up against a defense like this, uh, against the coach and Jim Leonard, who's really a rising star in the profession. Uh, I think certainly uh, game planning is going to be crucial. Uh, we've seen Ohio State do an excellent job of that this year, so I, I think there's reason to be confident they're going to have a good game plan. Uh, you know, the, the Rushman versus the Wisconsin offensive line. Uh, that's certainly an interesting one. Uh, Wisconsin is known for having great offensive lines, uh, so definitely going to be a test for the defensive line. Uh, but I think I, I think I probably look at it almost. I think I probably look at it the other way here, uh, and seeing how you know we talked about how good the Ohio State offensive line has been. But I think this is going to be a big test for them as well. Uh, this defensive front that Wisconsin has, uh, Zach Bonds, an excellent edge player for them. Uh, Isaiah Loudermilk's a guy who's drawn some praise for Ryan Day, an interior defensive lineman they have, uh, and really good linebackers. Uh, Chris Orr has eight sacks from his linebacker position this year. So uh, this is a defense that's going to scheme up a lot of different ways to bring pressure. And I think uh, for those blockers up front, uh, this is going to definitely be a big test for them uh, You know, in both phases of the game, pass protection and run blocking. I think uh, I sort of nailed one of the one that I would mention. And it's, a, it's just a slight change. Like I think Justin Fields against Jim Leonard um, is interesting to me because we just like I like I, I feel like I keep saying this, but it's the one thing like Justin Fields has played seven games and I haven't really seen anybody anybody really get him out of rhythm for an extended stretch. I just I haven't seen it yet. And Jim Leonard's I think he's he's supposed to be rising in the profession. They've got a talented defense. This is the chance. Can he throw Justin Fields off at all? And to me, like I think that bringing unique, bringing different kinds of blitzes is interesting, but I'm not totally sure that's the way to beat Justin Fields right now. Um, Justin Fields is pretty good at shrugging off these defenders and getting out of sacks and scrambling and making plays on the move. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily how I would want to beat Justin Fields. I would force him to not have these uh, open open throws on the outside against these outs and these comeback routes, try and make him dice him up over the middle, do, do something different than exactly how Ohio State has beat everybody else. And here's what. I'm not a defensive coordinator. I don't get paid to do this. I, w- I wouldn't know what I was doing. But here's here's what I do know. Nobody has gotten Justin Fields out of rhythm right now. There ha- like there has to be at some point somebody's going to do it. Can it be Wisconsin right now? And that that I don't know. That's what I'm looking. That's what I'm going to look for. 
Buckeye383 also asked us about Wisconsin's defensive depth. Uh, how does how does the depth compare to Ohio State? Uh, again, don't really know that I have any more to add to that. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I was an expert on Wisconsin's backup defensive players. I'd be lying to you if I could if I would told you I could name a single backup defensive player on Wisconsin. Yeah, that's difficult. Um, yeah, it's, it's just hard to say. Again, like we talked about, I think the fact that they've pitched four shutouts this year uh, tells you that they do have good depth. They do have guys that are coming in playing with a second team uh, that are still making plays. They're still doing well, but. Uh, you know how how are they going to compare against uh, an Ohio State offense that's really explosive? Uh, having to work those guys in in the middle of a game, it's just hard to say. Wisconsin hasn't played an offense like Ohio State's this year, uh, so this is going to be a big test for everybody. And also, Ohio State's offense hasn't played a full game at peak at peak performance this entire year. Um, so I would wonder. I don't even really wonder this, but it's something that I would pay attention to during a game of, of whether there's any sign of fatigue or whatnot. Now, I would say on the other side of the ball, Ohio State's backups backups on defense have been really solid. It's like if we're going to talk about defensive depth, I think Ohio State really has it right now, um, too. And I say, too, because I presume Wisconsin does. But like I said, I don't know. Guggenheim's also asked us about what did Illinois' offense do to exploit Wisconsin defense? Did Illinois win more because Wisconsin was sleepwalking or because they actually make calls to beat Wisconsin's scheme? Like I said, was not able to watch the game, so I I really can't answer it, but I would guess probably both. I I don't think there's any question that Wisconsin losing to Illinois, a team that had lost to Eastern Michigan, had lost four games in a row. I don't think there's any question that Wisconsin did not show up and play its best football on Saturday. I I don't think I need to watch the game to say that. But I would also think that, yeah, Illinois found some stuff to exploit in Wisconsin's scheme, and I'm sure that Ohio State watching that film, I'm sure Ryan Day and Mike Yurcich and Kevin Wilson have seen some of those same things in watching their scheme. Uh that would be my guess. Uh, I'm sure Wisconsin is going to – I'm sure one of their top priorities this week is figuring out what Illinois did to exploit them and trying to shore those things up. And I'm sure Ohio State's going to be looking for new things to exploit. As they should. Samaic asks this, – this is a good question because it, it forces us to do some real talk here. It's whose defense do you think is truly better, Ohio State or Wisconsin? If you could trade defenses, players, and schemes, would you? So we'll, we'll talk from Ohio State's perspective here. Would we trade Ohio State for Wisconsin? I would not. Uh, if, Hell if, no. Now, it's not now, even a question. For now, me. if it was last year and we could trade Greg Schiano for Jim Leonard, yeah, I probably would have that. But uh, right now, uh, I, I, like, we, like, like Colin hinted at before, uh, I think the talent on Ohio State's defense is certainly better, I think. Uh, you, we, I think when we look at the, the players on Wisconsin's defense versus the players on Ohio State's defense, there's probably four to six guys on Wisconsin's defense who will be middle to later round NFL draft picks. You look at Ohio State's defense, you've got two guys who could go in the top five next year in Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, and just about everybody on that defense has got a chance to be an NFL draft pick. So uh, I think Ohio State's talent is certainly better. I think their speed is certainly better. Uh, I think coaching, it's probably a toss-up right now because uh, I think Jim Leonard's done a fantastic job at Wisconsin. I think Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley are doing a fantastic job at Ohio State. But uh, no, that is not a trade that I would make. 
No, I'm not gonna. If I'm Ohio State, I'm not trading the best player in the country and Chase Young plus the best cornerback in the country plus potentially another first round cornerback plus Malik Harrison, Pete Warner, Baron Browning plus Devon Hamilton. No, I'm not. Yeah, no, I mean, with, no Wisconsin's got some good players. Do not get us wrong, but they're not Chase Young. They're not Jeff yeah. Okuda. Um, and those are the main. That 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 is the that's number one and number number yeah, one. That a, is number a, B one. of why because, I would because Jim Leonard Jim Leonard would do a damn good job with Chase Young. And <laughs> yeah. Jeff you know who also do a damn good job? Me. I could I, coach I, Chase I, Young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Probably. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. I mean, we know Larry Johnson does a damn good job with him. There, there's no question about that. Uh, Guggenheim's also asked, where do you see the Badgers attacking our defense? How does our defensive line stack up against their O-line? Um, kind of already talked about this. I mean, they're going to have to be able to run the ball. Uh, I think play action's a big thing. Uh, Greg Madison talked about that on Tuesday. Uh, that you know you're you're going to want to look for some play action opportunities. You're going to want to look for some opportunities uh, to catch the Buckeyes guessing and, and try to catch them out of position. Uh, you know, defensive line, offensive line. I think it should be a really good battle. Um, I, you know, I I, I I think Wisconsin's offensive line is always really good. I don't I don't know if actually this is Wisconsin offensive line is as good as some of them they've had. Uh, we mentioned the center. Uh, who's really good? Whose uh, name we're not yeah, going to pronounce anymore. We're done. Yeah, they've got some other good players. I don't know if they've got quite as many like early round NFL guys as they've had some years on this offensive line, uh, but I think it'll be a good battle. I think certainly one of the toughest tests that Ohio State's defensive line has faced this year. But I, I think Ohio State's defensive line is certainly going to be able to hold its own. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, next question: Silver Sniper asked. JT Barrett is most statistically accomplished quarterback in Ohio State history. Dwayne Haskins is the most statistically accomplished quarterback in a single season. Justin Fields might be better in both of them. Would you take two years of Fields over two years over either of those two over any quarterback in Ohio State history? That's a, that's a loaded question. There's a lot to that. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, JT Barrett did a lot of good things for Ohio State but if I'm taking two years of Justin Fields or two years of JT Barrett, there's not even a question. Took, uh, took seven taking, games to realize yeah, that. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I'm taking Justin Fields. Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, uh, I, I, that one's still almost a coin flip for me. Uh, I think Dwayne Haskins had a fantastic year last year, and I don't think we should forget about how good Dwayne Haskins was last year. But I also think Justin Fields brings some different elements that – that Dwayne Haskins didn't have in terms of his ability to extend plays, uh, to run the ball. And I think those elements have made Ohio State's offense better as a whole. Uh, so it, it's tough. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to say I would take Justin Fields uh, over any quarterback in Ohio State history. Uh, I mean, I don't know about that yet. I mean, it, it's, hard, it's hard to compare. Um, we're both pretty young, so, you know, we haven't seen – that many guys going back. I mean, even Troy Smith, I was a little bit young for that. Yeah, uh, I was 11 when Troy yeah, Smith Yeah, I mean, was. I was a couple years older than Colin, but still, like, it, I, 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 it, that's one I would have to think about. I'd have to look at it. Uh, certainly, I think after Justin's played his two years at Ohio State, uh, that's going to definitely be a conversation to have. If, if he keeps this up, he's certainly going to be in that conversation for best quarterback in Ohio State history. Uh, but just look, those three guys – feel like I shouldn't be picking against Haskins, but I feel like I have to. I just feel like is 
all the different things that Justin Fields can do just makes him so dangerous and it makes this offense so dangerous but I, I really think he he might be better it's an absolutely insane question to ask it is yet it's <laughs> at the same time the way that Justin Fields is playing it's and we're talking about st- most like if Justin Fields continues on this trajectory after this season Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields will have the two best statistical seasons in Ohio State history most likely for quarterbacks uh so that's a credit to Ryan Day uh certainly uh, the man knows how to coach quarterbacks. The man knows how to run an offense. And he's had two special talents. And I think like Colin hinted at that earlier when he was talking about, you know, that they've got some good recruits in the pipeline. But enjoy this, Ohio State fans. Don't get spoiled. Enjoy what you are watching right now because Justin Fields is a special talent. Dwayne Haskins was a special talent. And most likely, as good as Ryan Day is, there's most likely going to come a point in the near future where – Ohio State doesn't have a quarterback that's Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins. Uh, might not be a long period, but uh, this guy is special, uh, and you should enjoy every game that he plays, uh, most likely for two years as a Buckeye. Uh, yes, most certainly two years as a Buckeye. Yeah, I'd be uh, very surprised if it was three, but yeah, I mean, you the, never know. The obvious answer is yes, you'd take Justin Fields over JT Barrett. Um seems pretty simple to me uh the real the real one is Dwayne Haskins and like like you I think I am inclined to say that I would take Justin Fields with the caveat that if you've seen him play seven games and the best team that he's played against is a Michigan State team that at the time was 25th and is and is <clears throat> and is now reeling and Wisconsin or and um Cincinnati who is I think right now they're they're eighteenth yet I don't think necessarily Cincinnati. And I always try to game. guard against living in the moment because <laughs> yeah. and also Cincinnati might have like like four four star recruits on its roster. Like, there's a <laughs> there's a definite chance the way Justin Fields is playing that by the end of this year this is an easy question to yeah. answer. He he could make it an easy question to answer right now. The Dwayne versus Justin one is still very hard, but there's no question. And just in terms of in terms of pure physical talent, Justin Fields is on another level than JT Barrett. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was a first round draft pick. That's what we're going to be talking about Justin Fields as. JT Barrett was an undrafted free agent. It's just it's just a different level of talent. Uh, JT had a great Ohio State career, but just not at the same level. If you sat me down and said my life depended on it, you must make a decision right now. I would pick Justin Fields. As I would well. feel. Not confident whatsoever, and that's Justin Fields versus Dwayne Haskins. As would I. Uh, another Ivor or question here. Forty-seven Hawk asks, "Who rushes for more yards this week, Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins?" Predictions on rushing totals. I'm not good at predicting numbers, but that's a very interesting question on the yardage. Um, I will say this: If Jonathan Taylor doesn't rush for more than J.K. Dobbins, Wisconsin gets stopped. I agree. I agree. I think. I think. If that, I, I agree with that. Uh, and I think it could go either way. I, I think it could go either way. I'm inclined to say Jonathan Taylor because I think Wisconsin is more reliant on him. He typically gets more carries. Uh, both of these run defenses are really good, so it's not as if one will be going against uh, significantly weaker competition. But the way J.K. has been running, I, 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 I don't think it's out of question that J.K., uh, rushes for more. I'm gonna say I think they. I think they're both gonna be in triple digits. Uh, I think because I think I think Ohio State will lean on JK a lot in this game. Uh, the biggest game of the year. Uh, you know I think he'll play most of the snaps. They'll mix master in once in a while, but they're gonna mostly use 
JK in the running game. I think they'll both be in triple digits. Um, like I said, if Wisconsin's going to win this game, they probably need Taylor in the 200 range. Uh, that's, that's probably what they're going to need for him. I don't know if Ohio State needs that from JK, but uh, I could see both of them in big games. My inclination is to pick Jonathan Taylor with the assumption that he's just going to run like 35 times. Um, but I think. If I was picking yards per carry, I might go with Dobbins. Yeah. I will say this. Like, Dobbins has been pissed off now for six months. Like, he's just an, he's just. And I think J.K. Dobbins wants people to come out of his game saying J.K. Dobbins is the best running back in the Big Ten. J.K. Dobbins is the best running back in the country. Uh, that's what people have been saying about Jonathan Taylor. I think J.K. Dobbins would love to flip that script on its head. We're two months removed from him sitting at a table at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center indoor field and saying that he was a failure last year when he rushed for 1,000 yards and that he thinks he's the best running back in the country and he didn't show it last year. Well, you know what? You know what's a good stage to show that you're the best running back in the country? Going against the number one defense in the country. It would be. And, 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 and hey, it's not just that. You talked about Jonathan Taylor could be the first running back picked in the NFL draft next year. I think J.K. Dobbs is going to be in the NFL draft next year. This is the type of game scouts are going to be watching. If J.K. Dobbins can have a big game, that could be what he needs to propel himself into that first-round draft pick conversation. So a uh, real big stage for both of these guys. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch them both. I want to make a pick because I like I like hate seeing I like hate having a question like this and then just not answering. Um, I'm going to say Taylor, but it's it's very very close. I oh man, I'm really struggling because and it's really for like two reasons. Um, one, I think Jonathan Taylor. It's hard to run for more yards than Jonathan Taylor when Jonathan Taylor is going to run the ball 30 times. At the same time, I think. And you look at I've the numbers never this it. year, even if the usage, J.K. has almost as many rushing yards as Jonathan Taylor. And his usage is higher than you than you, than you might think, given the fact that they've played seven And it might be blowouts. higher in this game than most because it's a tougher opponent. And, and they I'm might. picking J.K. There you go. Uh, I'll pick J.K. 150 to 145. There you go. There you go. Five-yard five margin. Codeasy. Uh, asks us, does Wisconsin's defeat give them a little bit of a chip on their shoulder? I uh, feel as if the loss has increased his level of worry. Like, now they have something to prove. I would think so. I mean, I would I would think so. Like, like talked about, Wisconsin, uh, not that I think Wisconsin's a playoff team anyway, but uh, they no longer have a mulligan. If they lose this game, they're no longer in the conversation. They could still win the Big Ten West. They could still have a revenge game against Ohio State. Let me in, let me in, interrupt you real quick, though. Because of that loss, do you think it's more or less likely that Wisconsin wins? And 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 do you mean this in terms of? I would I would say this. I'm telling right now, the percentage chance that Wisconsin uh, will lose to Ohio State versus a week ago. What I would have said a week ago. Said, I, I say less. There's less of a chance that Wisconsin will win. Based on what I would have said a week ago, yes. So like to me. You can say the chip on the shoulder thing, and I think that that matters. Like we saw last year, I think that after the Purdue game, there that they sort of Ohio State sort of stepped it up a little, and definitely the year before after the Iowa game, it was the same thing. Um, but like I think that a loss also means that maybe you're not as good as some people think. And I also think I don't think Wisconsin was going to need extra motivation going into this game either way, because if not. 
if they hadn't lost, they were going to be 7-0, and and they were going to have a chance. We would be talking about, if if not for that last week, we'd be talking about a chance for Wisconsin to come in and really, really establish itself as one of the best teams in the country. If, that hadn't lost, if they hadn't lost last week, they came in, they beat Ohio State, they're 8-0. They are a top-four team in college football, and they control their own destiny for the college football playoff. Uh, so I think they're going to be motivated either way. Uh, I do think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. I do think they're going to have something to prove. I, I, I do think they're going to come in and, and probably play their best football or close to it. But, yes, in terms of, you know, am I more likely to – does it uh, increase a level of concern for Ohio State? I wouldn't say that because I, I, I think now – I think now, at least for me, I have more confidence that Ohio State is the better team uh, I already thought they were, but now I really think they are. Um, Which hypothetically should decrease an Ohio State fans' level of worry, but at the same time, I think your level of worry probably might go up a little bit because you realize, oh, God, if Ohio State lost to Wisconsin and Wisconsin just lost to Illinois, then maybe Ohio State isn't as good as, as um, you'd imagine. Yeah, and maybe that – and maybe they're, you know, now – now maybe you end up in a situation where even if Ohio State wins out, maybe now that one loss isn't you know. It looks it, a little worse than. than yeah, I mean, I have. I still think I think, you know, we're just talking hypotheticals here. I still think if Ohio State was to lose this game, and win out, I still think Ohio State would make playoff. But uh, it does it does add those factors in there. Uh, it definitely, I I think it should add. You know, I think it definitely uh, makes it even more important for Ohio State uh, to win this game. Um, you know, and, and I and I can already see the you know the comments next week, and it, you know if Ohio State wins big, people are going to say Wisconsin's not very good, and then people are going to be mad because uh, whoever Ohio State beats, there's always a narrative that they're not any good. Um, Which has been pretty true thus far. I mean, here deal. But if Ohio State wins out, it's not going to matter. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, I I do think Wisconsin's going to come in motivated to play. But I also think the way Ohio State has played this year has has made that not matter. So as long as Ohio State continues to play the way it's playing, it continues to execute at this high level that it's playing at, it's not going to matter how motivated the other team is. Uh, Ohio State can beat anybody. I'm not saying they will, but they, they can beat anybody the way they're playing. And I, don't, I certainly don't think Ohio State uh, – I don't think Ohio State is going to take its foot off the gas pedal at all just because Wisconsin lost to Illinois last week. I think they still realize this is a big game and they need to they need to play at their best. Last question. Uh, Dr. Gee, I believe is how you pronounce that, is asking a uh, two-part question on marketing. Uh, the first one is, could OSU do a better job of supporting its Heisman candidates, see Orlando, Pace, Pancake Magnets, the athletic department distributed? In recent years... They, they really haven't uh, done a whole lot to promote their Heisman candidates. They, they promoted Dwayne last year after the Big Ten championship game. Uh, they promoted him for a week. He obviously finished third behind Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, I think the reality for Ohio State is they're not focused on Justin Fields and the Heisman. They're focused on winning a national championship. Uh, so I, I think Ohio State views it as counterproductive to promote one of their players for the Heisman Trophy uh, when they're trying to, to, to have a team focus. Uh, once again, I think if, you know, if, if, if 
Justin Fields plays great for the rest of the year. They'll probably promote him a week leading up to the Heisman. That being said, I, 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 I'm assuming you're asking about Justin Fields. Uh, J.K. Dobbins could be in that conversation as well, but I think he's more of a long shot. But with that being said, right now I, I, I just look, just looking at the numbers, I think Justin Fields probably is firmly in the fourth spot in that Heisman race right now. And I don't think that has anything to do with narratives or a lack of marketing. I think it just has to do, if you look at Joe Burrow's numbers, Jalen Hurts' numbers, Tua Tagovailoa's numbers, they're just a little gaudier than, than Fields. They're just The numbers are just a little bigger. Uh, if Fields plays great against Wisconsin and great against Penn State and great against Michigan, he'll have a chance to get himself in that race. But I think right now he's fourth in that race just because his numbers qu- aren't quite at the same level in terms of you know counting stats as Burrow and Hurts and Tagovailoa. Yeah, I think the way that Ohio State treats, especially its quarterbacks, that I just I just don't see that happening as like it's an in-season thing. Like the week of the Michigan game, they're probably not going to be putting out any flyers saying. Justin and and I also don't think Justin Fields is the type that wants people that wants to be hyping up a Heisman in midseason. I think Justin Fields is focused on on trying to win games and and trying to uh, do you know do the best he can for the team. And I think. I think one of the things that well, I think one of the reasons why this team has been so successful this year is I think there's such there's such an immense level of buy-in with this team. Uh, I think this team is so bought into what the coaches are selling, and I think they're really bought into if we all work together and we all work toward the team goals, we have a chance to have a really special season. I think that if Ohio State supported someone for a Heisman candidate in in a similar manner to the uh, Orlando Pace pancake magnets, I almost think it would be a Chase Young, like someone who who wouldn't necessarily win. And it's like if you're promoting Chase Young, I don't – one, I think that there is also like an understanding that Chase Young probably wouldn't win it, but it's more so this guy needs more recognition, this guy needs – this guy needs to be in that um, in that circle and potentially a finalist for for the Heisman, even if in sort of the back of your mind, as as Ohio State, you would probably know that that he wouldn't be there. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and I think Chase Young's going to have a chance to take home some hardware, anyways. If he if he keeps playing the way he's playing, it's not going to be the Heisman, but I think certainly uh, Bronco Nagurski, Benaric awards like that that go to the. Uh, best defensive player in the country Uh, i think he's going to have a great shot at those if he keeps playing the way he's playing second part of his question was i think there's room for improvement on marketing the brand for a game day atmosphere he said maybe we don't need a laser light show which i can tell you our colleague zach carpenter would vehemently disagree he's a big light show guy Um, guy. but uh he said maybe we don't need a laser light show or a scarlet out but i'd like to see more innovation in this area not sure if a dj is what he had in mind something that he could prove here thoughts yeah i think there's probably room for improvement there i think um ohio state i think ohio state game day atmosphere compared to some of the other you know major major college programs in this country I don't think it's always the best. I think it has a bit of a reputation for, uh, you know, you know, fans not necessarily um, being as loud and being as into the games. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know how to fix that. Again, kind of goes back to what I said for number one. 
I, I think I don't think it's Ohio State's primary concern right now. Uh, on, on that side of things, Ohio State's primary concern is just keeping attendance up because attendance across college football has been dropping uh, in recent years. So I think certainly they're looking for things they can do to make sure that people want to continue to come to the games. Um, but you know, in terms of uh, the recruiting's been pretty good. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, I think Ohio State's been doing just fine selling its program. Are there a few things Ohio State could maybe do to kind of enhance the Ohio Stadium game day experience? Uh, there probably are, uh, but I don't know if there's any. There's not, there's not like one specific thing that comes to mind for me right now, like this is something Ohio State's got to do. I think that, I think there's, like you asked, whether there's room for improvement, I think there. I think there absolutely is. Yes, um, I agree. It's it's funny that you mentioned the DJ and in, in the question because I remember when they even they slipped in there somewhere that there was going to be a DJ at games and there was a full scale meltdown on the internet, <laughs> and it, and it was one of those things that reminds you that like. If Ohio State wants to modernize certain aspects of their game day experience, it's going to come at a cost of there's a lot of people in those stands who pay a lot of money for tickets who don't necessarily want certain things changed. Like they like their, they, I mean, there are people who when you go to basketball. There are a lot of Ohio, people, Ohio State fans who go to games who would not be on board with the idea of uh, multicolored LED lights around the stadium. No, that probably wouldn't go over perfectly. Um, and I think that, like they're, like I was going to say, there, there are people who go to basketball games who wish there's more music between the timeouts. It's like that's not going away. Like I think there are, I think there are certain things that Ohio State has done to try to modernize it a little bit. But at the same time, you don't go looking around Ohio Stadium and think, wow, this thing's on the cutting edge of marketing technology. At the same time, I'm not sure that Ohio State necessarily wants people to think that. It is a tough balance because – attendance is dropping nationwide. Ohio State put these ticket packages in place, these new ticket packages, and it wasn't because attendance has been great. It's because they've been struggling to sell but certain areas. But they've still, every game had over 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. They're still, they've still been filling up the shoe this season. And I, and I think the number one thing, the number one thing that put butts in those seats, the number one thing that markets your program is winning football games. And the absolute best marketing for Ohio State football right now, whether it's in recruiting, whether it's in getting fans to games, is the fact that the team is 7-0, and the fact that the Ryan Day era has gotten off to as good a start as anyone could have imagined to this point. And I don't think there's any better marketing you can do than that. And you're not giving away tickets with $2 Cokes. No, <laughs> this is very true. Um, there's definitely room for improvement. But there are a lot of stadiums, uh, and you I mean you just see. I mean, we, we saw it at Northwestern on Friday, where uh, at least half the fans in the stadium were Ohio State fans. I actually really noticed it just watching the game back on TV, where you'd hear them booing when calls went against Ohio State and cheering when Ohio State uh, scored. And there were still empty seats in that stadium, and that stadium holds less than fifty thousand, and had probably at least twenty thousand Ohio State fans there. So. Uh, Ohio Stadium's got it going a lot better than a lot of other places. Uh, surely room for improvement, and I promise you this, they are continuously looking at ways to improve because college football is an arms race. Uh, Ohio State wants to keep making money, and they also want to keep getting top recruits. So uh, they're going to keep looking at ways to innovate, um, and there's probably a lot of you out there who are more creative than us in that regard who can come up with ideas. 
uh, on that note, we've gone pretty long here. Uh, almost an hour and a half on this week's show, so uh, we don't want to keep you guys any longer. But we appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, big week for Ohio State football, of course. Buckeyes playing Wisconsin on Saturday. Uh, that game will kick off at noon. will be televised on Fox. And as always, 11 Warriors will have full coverage. Also, if you're going to be at the game, uh, be sure to go check out the 11 Dubgate on Saturday morning. Uh, goes to a good cause. Uh, proceeds go to uh, Down Syndrome Achieves, uh, which is a great organization uh, that gives back uh, to, to people uh, with challenges in their lives. So uh, certainly if you're going to be on campus on Saturday, go check out the 11 Dubgate before the game. Uh, we won't personally be there because we have work to do before the games, but a lot of other 11 Warriors personalities that you guys know will be there. So if you're going to be in Columbus on Saturday, go check out the 11 Dubgate. As always, stay tuned to 11warriors.com for full coverage of all things Ohio State sports. And we'll be back next week uh, to recap the Wisconsin game and uh, discuss bye week number two. I'm ready. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, that's a weird thing to say, but uh, I think we'll have plenty to talk about after this week's game. So thanks again for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side.